I'm Charles. And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week we pick out something creepy or spooky and we explore it. (laughs) Today we are exploring cannibalism. Yes. How do you feel about eating other people? I'm I'm anti- you're not for it? No. I don't know why. Are you you're for eating other people? I mean, I'm for eating like you. I'd eat you. Because you want to be close to me or because you want me to be dead? That's for me to know and for you to someday find out as I'm gnawing on your corpse. Um but first, I would like to know and you're never ready for it. Yeah. What are you afraid of this today? <laughs> What are you afraid of today? Um, nothing. I've conquered fear. Not something. Not just a itty bitty something. Um, I'm. I, there's like a bunch of work stuff going on. Um, that's boring. I'm not gonna like go into it. But I guess it's. I'm a little anxious because uh, we're recording this on a Sunday, so I go back to work tomorrow after a weekend away, and I'm a little. A little trepidatious to see how things will pan out, but no, I mean, real overwhelming existential dread for me this week. That's good. Which is a marked improvement. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> what about you? I, uh, well, I'm scared of the effects of staying inside too long. I know that we had quarantine and that was a thing, but... I haven't been outside all day except for the last like 15 minutes before we started this. So I haven't actually touched any sunlight like directly. It's been all indirect sunlight. Yeah. I I think like for one day that's probably just fine. Well, it doesn't feel right. Okay. Cuz I've been outside a lot lately. Oh, I um, went to a a karaoke bar last night, which was scary. How that go? What did you sing? I didn't. I don't usually sing. <clears throat> I just watched other people sing, um, but it was really weird. Like good. It was good to go out again. But it was a place where if you were vaccinated, you didn't have to wear a mask. So like, most people here are vaccinated now, and so most people at the bar were not wearing a mask, and it was just very weird to be in a crowded place with people not wearing masks. And I was like. I don't remember how to do this. I don't remember how to talk to people. I, I don't know. remember how to order You'd a drink. You feel dirty. <laughs> like, I wear my mask around my <laughs> wrist in places that, like, because, you know, we're both vaccinated. So, like, I wear it around my wrist in places that I don't necessarily have to have it on. And I'm like, yeah, I'll put it back on, like, at any given moment. Don't you worry. Like, I'll slap this thing back on, no problem. Yeah, it's just so strange. I, I definitely will continue to wear my mask in places like grocery stores, doctor's offices, stuff like that, um, even as the rules are relaxed, just because people don't ha- really have an option as to whether or not they go there. So I don't think it's fair to make anyone uncomfortable in those spaces. But like in a crowded bar where no one else is wearing a mask, there's really no point in me wearing mine. But I did feel like weird and wrong 
And I felt like I have very, very mild social anxiety. Like generally, I get a little nervous before I go to a social gathering, but like once I'm there, I'm good, especially if I'm with friends. But my social anxiety is like way worse than it ever has been before, just because I'm I haven't socialized in big groups for a year and a half. And it was and they oh and it that is the same. Yeah, and and they were setting off fireworks outside, which just did not help. <laughs> fireworks. Yeah, because I was not anticipating them. I love them, but they are terrible for the environment. Yeah, I'm terrible for my fucking nerves. No. Especially not in June. Yeah. So that was probably the scariest thing that happened to me this week was going, but it was fun. I had a good time. I was just really like nervous and I drove so I couldn't drink <laughs> to like ease that anxiety. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot. Why didn't you just take public transport? Because I came straight from uh, babysitting. Uh, do you remember back in 2020 from like, late May all the way to past July 4th, people had been talking about loud, booming, firework-like sounds in like an unseasonable time of, well, not completely unseasonable, but odd times that were not July 4th. You had even heard them in Chicago. Yeah, they were everywhere here until like the end of August. It was that whole like, it played into that whole LRAD conspiracy, which who knows, maybe one day we'll talk about Things like that. Um, maybe audio terror. Uh, well, uh, besides audio terror, I would love to hear more about what you discovered when it comes to the facts and figures on cannibalism. Yes, they're mostly just facts. Not a lot of figures. But they're still interesting. Okay, so my sources were a Vox article titled Seven Surprising Facts About Cannibalism by Phil Edwards, a Business Insider article titled 10 Things You Always Wondered About Cannibalism by Lauren Brown, and that's it. Okay, so first of all, humans are at least in part like biologically hardwired to not be cannibals because eating other humans can make you very physically ill. Um, specifically, if you eat the brain of another person, it can cause, I believe it's pronounced kuru, and that's a brain disease that's really similar to mad cow disease. Um, kuru occurs because our brains contain prions, which uh, are a type of protein. And when you consume that protein, um, it transmits kuru. That disease. Um, so symptoms begin with trembling and end in death. So there's a good chance you will die if you eat another person's brain. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> cannibalism has a long and enduring history in humans anyway. So we were willing to risk it for the human brisket. Um, and that started... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that? <laughs> Willing to risk it for the human brisket. That is bad egg behavior right there. I'm sorry. I, I Does it help that it wasn't premeditated? Like, that's not in my notes. It just came to me. I feel like it might have not been in these notes, but you might have been, you might have had that written down somewhere for a while. I don't know. I feel like in one of your, like, 
mental zinger rolodexes man i wish i had a mental zinger rolodex uh okay so this all started back with the homo antecessor and that is the don't do that <laughs> don't do the game that's what you just me. did did i oh i didn't you hear. said the homo ancestors <laughs> or whatever you said antecessor uh so the homo antecessor is the link between neanderthals and homo sapiens and uh this dude slash species participated in cannibalism for nutritional purposes they uh like it wasn't until homo sapiens that we learned to hunt and uh like consume other animals for our food uh, so some of the, on the flip side of that, some of the latest recorded instances of cannibalism that were not related to like criminal activity uh, occurred in China up through the 1960s and in North Korea even more recently than that. These 20th century instances of cannibalism happened for survival purposes, so people ate other people as a last resort to keep themselves alive. There have been even more recent instances of cannibalism which were related to crimes like murder. <laughs> um, an interesting fact that I had never really considered before was that there are no outright laws against cannibalism in the United States. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah, which I feel like most of the time cannibalism involves killing people right maybe not always but there i think maybe they thought that would circumvent cannibalism laws or maybe there are or maybe they were there are people in the government and higher officials who would like to eat people so that they made that law not a law so that they can stay young or do whatever. So they didn't make the law. Yeah, I said it weird. Yeah. Don't judge me. I am, but it's okay. For once in this whole relationship that we've ever had. Shut Don't up. judge me. Um, so no one knows what motivates cannibalistic behavior that occurs outside of like ritualistic or survival cannibalism. Uh, but psychologists have speculated that it may actually relate to childhood trauma relating to separation anxiety from one's mother and resulting in oral aggression. Um, and then cannibalistic fantasies are also often sexually motivated. So there's that. Uh, people are weird. I, listen, after I read the mother really one the separation anxiety mother one like why don't I'm, I'm, I'm not why don't I mean I'm thankful I don't but I was like I'm glad I don't have cannibalistic tendencies because I had separation anxiety childhood trauma separation from my mother maybe not like maybe it has to be more drastic than that but <clears throat> well it says it results in oral aggression so maybe you were just a biter as a kid I do love to chew on things. There you go. That's because of your mom. Thanks, mom. That's why I like gum so much. Hold for dog. Holding for dog. It's fine. Um, just so you know, there may be a dog sound that we can't get rid of. It's not my dog, and it's not Bailey's dog. It's a neighbor's dog. And you know what? 
It's a featured guest who has a lot to say, but we just don't understand. Um, and we can't translate for you. So if you hear the comments, just enjoy them from the dog. And that's it. So my last fact is that when compared to animal meat, anecdotal evidence suggests that human flesh most resembles pork in taste. I don't like that. Um, so this is actually really interesting, though, because so one of the reasons why we know this is that there was this like killer who like ate his brother and in the early 2000s and he said that it tasted like pork and then there was also this robot so they made like unrelated to that dude uh they made this robot that was meant to be like a robotic sommelier uh which is like a professional like wine taster recommender um and so it was designed to analyze flavor profiles basically and like recommend pairings and stuff um and on two separate occasions the people who made this robot like gave it their hand to quote unquote taste and like analyze the flavor of and um and like to say like what it was so the robot would say what it was they were like quote unquote tasting and it said at one instance i believe it was bacon uh and another one like ham or another type of pork so both are real cannibal and a cannibal robot say that humans taste like pork see but could that robot come in for another use it quote unquote tastes your hand and then picks out the wine that pairs best with you turns out that's your favorite wine which you might have known and you might not have known that would be cool if it worked that way i feel like that robot would have we all would have known more about it, though, because I never heard of it until I was doing my cannibal research. I feel like that robot would be famous. That, that already spins into, like, some kind of horror film in my mind of some human-eating robot that, like, is pairing you with wine. It sounds very stupid, but it it was a short film that I did just watch in my brain. Anybody else enjoying the same film, Bailey? No, I'm not. No. I wonder what wine you'd pair well with. <laughs> Maybe like a, like a rosé. I do like a rosé. I am a white girl. I just don't like that we taste like pork. I mean, I'm <laughs> vegan, and I did like pork, so that means I would probably like eating people. I liked pork, too. I'm a vegetarian now, but I like I liked pork, too. I, I think I would be way too grossed out. Like, I could maybe eat people if I was... <laughs> if you told me it was pork... Like, would I maybe eat it and like it? In theory, based on anecdotal evidence, yeah. Well, yeah, isn't there, like, um, cases of, like, people eating accidental human food? Or, well, not, like, eating... Or is that, like, know. all just false? I came across a couple examples of that in my research, but they were hoaxes, the ones that I came across. I'm not sure that it's ever actually happened. Hmm. Remember when you came to my apartment and you opened the refrigerator, which was, like, empty? <laughs> and you're like, mm, I can enjoy tofu or um, uh, it was like old hummus or something. Um, I don't remember that. I still I have that. I still have that frozen pizza in my freezer. You should eat it. 
I can't. Well, grow up. It's not my fault that you're vegan. It's fine. I'll come visit again and then I will eat my frozen pizza and you can stop bitching about it. Can you just like not hold the fucking frozen pizza over my head for one day in my life? No. Um, in fact, if you die, I will leave it at your grave and say, here, take your dumb pizza back. And I will literally hold it over your head. I'll be like, is this the right end of the coffin? This is their head. Yeah, okay. First, Bury this First of all, I'm not going to be buried because you won't give me my three-foot-tall Funko Pop version of me as my headstone. <laughs> so I will be launched into space. You're going to have your own Funko Pop. You're going like, to shoot it. Before you die, you're going to shoot it out there <laughs> so that it can orbit the Earth and people can look at it through a telescope. My, my Funko Pop is wearing a necklace containing my ashes and I shoot it into space. And then my Funko Pop, it's going to be in a pose like turn to the side and it's it's at, like gonna be pulling its Funko Pop pants down and its ass is gonna be out so it's like mooning you as it orbits there. I hate that. <laughs> I that just like I don't know why that physically upsets me. <laughs> oh, who cares? I'll be dead and if I'm gone you're not gonna last much longer. I'll live just to spite you. <laughs> Move to be like 115 years old out of sheer spite for me. <laughs> that bitch said I wouldn't last two days without her. Well, guess what? I lasted 35 years. Why do you... Why am I country suddenly? Yes. Well, lasting 35 years past the prime when I was supposed to die. Um, it does things to a person. It, it did a number on me. It does things to a man. I bet you wouldn't taste good anymore. I taste like old pig. Old bacon left in a store. Speaking of old bacon left in a store, you have a would you rather for me. Would you rather, let's say I die, like today, and it... No. Okay, tomorrow. Let's say I die tomorrow, and you... It comes out in the news that eating a bit of the ashes of somebody that you love can give you superpowers... It's not guaranteed. But it could. But it could happen. And those superpowers are based off of, like, that person's personality and their life. So, would you rather... So, in in this scenario, if I eat a little bit of your ashes, there's a chance that I could get superpowers. Not guaranteed, but there's a chance. Yeah, so would you rather do that, or would you rather consume some of the ashes, and you can hear my voice as your new conscience. Okay, so I'm eating your ashes anyway. Either way. Yeah. But I'll either get superpowers or you will become the voice inside my head. Yeah. Now, like, based off of my personality, I don't know what that could be. That could be... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you could gain some kind of, like, singing power that could, like, shatter glass and bones. That'd be useful. No, um, or... you don't need to elaborate. I, I would rather have superpowers. Okay. So this brings me into mummies and corpse medicine. Now, mm. I, I started on one path and found two paths that diverged into one. Um, so my sources are, it's not like a Robert Frost poem two or something. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood? That can't be right. Sure. Hold on. Wait, holy shit, it is two roads diverging in Yellowwood. Which, I think I said that wrong then. <laughs> two 
Rosetta, I guess, diverged that did converge into one. I don't know. I never claimed to be a linguist of the English language. Well, this is a Rhodes podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about more about Which, the right terminology for how Rhodes work. Funnily enough, I do mention Rhodes here in a minute. My sources are the Smithsonian Magazine, um, Asphalt.com, ScienceHistory.org, and a YouTube video. And that is titled, Eating Mummies? Ancient Egyptian mummies were used for medicine, paint, and parties. Dark History. From Sophia Lovelace Paranormal. Ooh, what a good name. So, I know. So, when I think of cannibals, and perhaps when you think of cannibals, I feel like the usual image that comes to mind is a rare occurrence of people who eat freshly dead, killed other people. Um ones that usually they killed and maybe for survival or just the odd freak. However, there seems to be a time in our past that there were people who ate other people who had died hundreds, perhaps thousands of years ago, and those who found fresher bodies to use in the now called practice corpse medicine. So first, we're going to talk about the European movement to eat mummies. So, Think 16th century Europe, according to sciencehistory.org, the belief that mummies had medicinal value probably is a huge misunderstanding at first. Now I'm going to introduce you to a new word, or a couple, but the first one is bitumen. Um, not to be confused with vitamin, <laughs> with a V, that's something that you might call vitamin. Um, now you probably come in contact with bitumen every day it's what holds together asphalt that makes our roads once again we come back to the road podcast hold me i'm a road um it's a naturally occurring naturally occurring a naturally occurring hydrocarbon that is obtained from petroleum distillation and in ancient times they use bitumen (laughs) to protect trees from pests and a salve for rashes what is so funny bitumen i hardly know a man (laughs) stop and a stabilizer for broken bones um as it does harden after heated so it can be used as like a cast Now, it went by many names and many cultures, but one specific in the 10th and 11th century in Persia, they called it mummia. Now, Europeans, also um, around a certain time, found ancient mummies, and they saw the black substance that coated the mummies and assumed this to be bitumen because of mummia bitumen. No one really knows if it was or wasn't. They believe it to be at one time that they could have used bitumen to actually like preserve the mummies, but most of the time, especially with royalty and larger status mummies, they used tree resin. Hmm. So this gave birth to the double meaning of the word mummia. So this trickled down from one person to the next, to society to society, year to year, and now we have people believing that not only is the outside perhaps bitumen of the mummy good to use, It's the whole mummy that is good to cure all kinds of things, (laughs) which I don't know. Um, So we'll get into it. When you think of mummies, you think of like the most famous one, right? Who do you think of? Most famous mummy? Uh, uh, the, 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 The dude from Night at the Museum, King Tut. Yes. Um, and even I believe mummies to be just royals. However, it is 
actually found out now that it is lesser noble classes and even trickled down to the common class of mummification because it was actually kind of affordable. And sometimes it just occurred naturally when you buried people in the dry desert sands of Egypt. So we go back to Europe. Um, Around 1586, merchant John Sanderson Um, relation to the Sanderson sisters of Hocus Pocus? I don't know. Um, He gives us this lovely quote. He says, We were let down by ropes, as into a well, with wax candles burning in our hands, and so walked upon the bodies of all sorts and sizes, some great, some small. They have no noisome smell at all, but are like pitch, being broken. For I broke off all parts of the bodies to see how the flesh was turned to drug, and brought home divers head hands arms and feet for a show we brought also 600 pounds together with the whole body they are lapped in above a hundred double of cloth which rotting and peeling off you may see the skin flesh fingers and nails firm only altered black so yes you heard it right they smuggled 600 pounds of people that died a long time ago into europe isn't that cool Can you imagine if, like, you were buried in this very sacred religious ceremony only for a few hundred years later, some fucking white dude to show up, break your goddamn fingers off, put you in a bag, and smuggle you back to his white man home for a bunch of white people to eat you? That is how you get cursed. Are we surprised by this? No. No. (laughs) White people be doing all kinds of weird things. So this sparked all kinds of newer, even fresher takes on corpse medicine. One book, Oswald Kroll's Antipoleptic Confection of Paracelsus, has a recipe that calls for something much more brutal as a cure for epilepsy. And I quote, First, choose the carcass of a red man, whole, clear, without blemish, of the age of twenty-four years that hath been hanged, broke upon a wheel, or thrust through, having been for one day and night exposed to the open air in a serene time. Yes, he says the cure for epilepsy is getting a body that has died violently, Preferably a man of 24 years. Cool. Okay. And then you eat him? Um, I didn't get the whole recipe. You know, I'm not really sure what they did with him, but I know that um, it didn't work. So yes, now what we call corpse medicine was all the rage. And like I said, sometimes the fresher, the better. It became a belief that when you die... You die with a certain amount of your strength, and if that is eaten by someone else and transferred into a living body, it regains its power now, and uh, you get that strength from the person who died. And who did I get that information from? Why? None other than Leonardo da Vinci himself. <laughs> Leonardo said, da Vinci was a cannibal, confirmed. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. He made the Mona Lisa, and he also ate her. Um, He said, We preserve our life with the death of others, and a dead thing insensate life remains. 
which, when it's reunited with the stomach of the living, regains sensitive and intellectual life. Yeah, here I thought he was smart. I mean, I'm like a little curious. A lot of people seem to think this. I'm. Am I going to like eat a person? No, but am I? Am I a little more curious than I was before? A little bit. Yes. Might we consider eating a person that we killed together? Maybe. Nah. But when I die, um, I want you to do one of two things. I want you to either eat me and take my strength. Or if we're in like a cold place, I want you to do like they did in Star Wars and cut me open and crawl inside my belly for warmth. I cannot fit inside of your frail, small, Victorian child body. <laughs> you have to, you, that's why you cut it open. It, that makes it bigger. I still don't think it would work out for me. The proportions just aren't right. It really actually like hurts my feelings that you won't at least try. I mean, okay, I'll try. But one, I don't have a lightsaber. And two. Uh, just a shrug. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to work. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'll just, I'll keep you around me. Like, I'll I'll piggyback you like a blanket. Because if I cut you open, you'll lose all your heat really quickly. So I might as well just keep the already, like, Yeti brand thermal thing you got going on inside your body and just uh, lay it on top of me like a weighted blanket. What do you think humans are made of? Titanium steel double walled cups. Okay, right. Sorry. Yes, that is correct. Continue. Well, here's a question. Would you drink blood from somebody if you might be able to gain their strength? No, not for that reason. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Another reason, perhaps, that you'd like to share? (laughs) Let's just go on. Let's continue. Okay. Well, we're going to revisit that one. Maybe not on the podcast. Um... (laughs) So, um, so blood was a big one for a while. Um, Paracelsus, who you might have heard mentioned earlier in that book, was a physician who believed it was good to drink blood and suggested getting it from living bodies. And this was harder to do back then. So the common poor people, they found a better way, Bailey. And it may not be exactly from a living source per se. But, you know, there used to be this fun thing called public executions by hanging or beheading. And Mm -hmm. apparently, Mm -hmm. if you had a coin or two, you could pay for a cup of fresh blood from the just freshly executed. What the fuck? Yep. This is just like a common practice? I guess. Common enough to be noted. Honey, before we leave for the execution, don't forget your goblet. (laughs) Right. Or like, I don't know, you're about to be the one executed and you're like, hey, um... Listen, I know I don't have much longer love in my life, but I want you to have the first drink. Like, <laughs> what? Um, it's like a little romantic. It but kind of is. And am I saying bit. that, like, I want to drink blood? No. Am I saying, like, I might consider it? Maybe. Um, this, really? This led to, like, the belief in, I think, Germanic cultures that said that the executioner was seen as kind of like a healer because they're like he gives us all the fresh blood stuff we like him and he must be special 
So another big part of corpse medicine was the skull. And Thomas Willis of the 17th century, he once brewed chocolate and powdered human skull to cure bleeding. Right? Not the hot chocolate of your childhood. But maybe not yours. Well, you know what? You did have a very interesting childhood. I wouldn't be surprised if you're one of your parents, specifically your bleep it out, <laughs> forced you to drink hot chocolate <laughs> and blood. Or no, and human skull. Sorry. The mummy was also used in tinctures to stop internal bleeding. And King Charles II, no relation, maybe, used powdered skull and alcohol to uh, create what he called the king's drops. I don't know what he used it for, but he liked it and it worked for him. Or maybe it didn't. So all of this had a small reason behind it, okay? Eat skull, cure head problems. Eat blood, cure blood problems. And that checks out, sort of. Where can I eat some (laughs) self-esteem? Don't come looking at me. Um, Oh my gosh, we should eat celebrity. Oh my God, eat the rich. This takes on a whole new meaning. So... (laughs) Um, you might wonder. <laughs> eat rich, solve not rich problems. Right, if you eat the rich, maybe you'll be rich too. Or some of them seem pretty confident. We won't know till we try. Right. Yeah. Come on, guys. Let's rise up as the poor and eat a rich. Just one of them. Um, but yeah, so you might wonder how all of this was allowed in such a heavy Catholic society. Well, there comes the practices of Eucharist, or what is also known as communion, which is eating the bread and drinking the wine to feed the soul of the body in a spiritual way as the blood and body of Christ. Um, This also paralleled the corpse medicine practice, feeding the human body. So, um, not to... There were a lot of oppositions to corpse medicine and even communion from... The prudes... um, <laughs> um, I, it's another p word not protestant there we go um <laughs> the prude protestants wait did you ever take communion yeah growing up yeah that's yeah, why i, I became too. jesus dude this little urine sample cup size of grape juice and the oyster crackers okay low-key like kind of slapped let's be Fair, though, that was not a urine sample size, okay? Those are pretty big cups. What you get is, like, an eyedropper, maybe. That's true. Like, of grape juice Uh. or a sip from a wine goblet that everybody shares. 2020 could literally never. There was... That was really all I could find on corpse medicine. There were some other things that were kind of uninteresting. Um, Though, there was an interesting fact. Like, I mentioned in the title of that video there were mummy unwrapping parties now this was past the 16th and 17th century we moved on to the victorian era and if you know anything about the victorian era they were kind of like macabre people like they were i don't know they were going through something and because you know they had the i don't know what they called it but when people died they 
wouldn't exactly just put them in a coffin and put them away. A lot of the time, they would be staged in the parlor, and you would take pictures with them as a memorial, which I'm just not comfortable. I mean, it's basically like a wake. Yeah, like a wake, except you're not in a coffin and you're propped up. It's, uh... Oh, so they would, like, like not stage them, like, in a coffin. Like, they would, like, sit them in a chair. Yes, and you would, like, put your arm around them or sit next to them. No, wait, I changed my mind. I don't want to get launched into space. I want to, I want, I want to do that. But that became <laughs> a weird practice, which apparently is why we changed the name from parlor to living room, because it's only for <laughs> the living. <laughs> no way. Can't be true. They were like, guys, okay, let's all agree. (laughs) This is weird. It's for the living, okay? Samantha, you take that corpse and you you take it right out of here. Put the camera down. We're going to be fucking normal from here on out. I don't care that you loved Aunt Susan. We're not going to take pictures with her. It's weird. I want you to mummify me with... Like, or no, not mummify. I want you to, like, um, what is it with the animal? Oh, taxidermy me with, like, both my middle fingers up and then do do the, the Victorian parlor thing. See, I thought that's what you would want with the Funko Pop. I thought that's what the Funko Pop was going to be doing. But instead, you pulled down <laughs> your Funko Pop pants and mooned people. Because I'm in space. Get it? Moon. I was not amused. So... At these mummy unwrapping parties, which look, I'm not saying that I sh- that like I support mummy unwrapping parties, but I am saying I would be a little um conflicted on if presented with a mummy sale on if I should have a mummy unwrapping party or not. Now, these were parties from 1837, 1901, and that Victorian era, somewhere in between there, they did these parties, and they would sell tickets, and at first it was just, like, the elite people, but then really anybody could go, and one notable figure was Thomas Pettigrew, who threw his own parties, and he gave out a lot of problematic information to the attendees telling them that the mummies that he would unwrap had larger skulls and that meant that they were definitely white people because a big skull meant smarter therefore Egyptians could not have been like could not have been black oh so we're we're racist cannibals now yes um I don't know if he ate them or not but he also, um, at one party, used the mummified body and head of an Australian native as decor and even set it by a painting that depicted the false harmonious relationship of the Australian natives and the English. Now, if you don't know, white people for a long time have been going into countries and um, unharmoniously <laughs> by raping, pillaging, and destroying. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it wasn't, they didn't do good things, okay? They were bad people. This all goes back to maybe wondering 
when did we stop? When did we stop doing the mummy parties? When did we stop eating mummies as medicine? Well, shortly after the Victorian era and towards the end of it, um, it came partially from the belief that curses were attached to the mummies that were stolen, and grave robbing regained its sense of being unethical, especially with King Tut, because those who unearthed his sarcophagus all fell into very unfortunate events and died. Oh no, how sad. They believe it to be from a fungus, but I think it could have been a bit more magical. Look, I'd put some curses and hexes over my, like, beloved's tombs if I didn't want anybody, especially, like, a king. Yeah. And also, like, what fucking right do you have to show up and trample all over everybody's bones and take them back to your house for their friends to eat? Right. Would you want someone to do that to you? No. Well, well, maybe you would. I, I don't want... I don't. I'm just putting that out there, okay? I'm putting that on the record. Right. Treat um, others as you would like to be treated. Golden but, rule. Like, I'm not saying that they were cursed, but do they deserve to be? For sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that led to the decline, and really, that is the end of what I have on mummies and corpse medicine. It sounds sarcastic, but you did a good job. All right. All right. I'm ready. So, speaking of racist cannibals, today I'm going to be talking about Gilberto Valle, Valle, the cannibal cop. Oh, boy. Uh, so, my would you rather is, would you rather find out that someone that you love and have married and have had a child with is a cop this whole time? No! That literally, that literally was it. <laughs> would you rather <laughs> would you rather find out that the, the person that you love and married and made a baby with was a cop or a cannibal? <laughs> Neither are great. Um, I guess I'll go with I guess I'll go with the cop because I don't want to get that weird disease that you get from people who eat other people, especially dead people. You can get a you can pass on a disease to a living person if you're eating dead people. And I guess they could they could give it to your child like if you use their genetic material to procreate. Okay, cop lover. So my sources were uh <laughs> An HBO documentary called Thought Crimes, The Case of the Cannibal Cop, a 2018 New York Daily News article by Chris Sommerfeldt, and Wikipedia. Okay, so Gilberto Valle was a 28-year-old NYPD officer at the time of his arrest. He grew up in Queens, New York, and was raised Catholic. Um, his childhood was relatively happy, but his parents did fight often, and they separated when he was young. His father was very possessive, controlling, and verbally abusive toward his mother. Um, 
Valle describes his mom as being very emotionally supportive and his dad as being very strict and having high expectations of him throughout his childhood. Okay, so here's what happened. So Lil Gil grows up, he becomes a 28-year-old NYPD officer, and he's married and he's got a baby. And his wife, Kathleen, starts to become a bit suspicious because Gil starts acting kind of weird. Um, he will lock, uh, he will like get out of bed in the middle of the night, spending a lot of time on the computer. Um, and then also her, her marriage had changed. She had started making Google searches like, my husband doesn't love me anymore. And she felt like their marriage was kind of crumbling. So she installed spyware on the computer which recorded every keystroke, every website, and took screenshots every five minutes of whatever was on the computer screen. And what she discovered horrified her. So I do want to give a trigger warning before I continue. Um, this story is going to discuss sexual assaults, um, kidnapping, and obviously cannibalism. But you already knew that. So oh, the big three, eh? <laughs> yeah. So and it, it does get pretty graphic. Um, I will say that this is uh, everything that I'm talking about is is like conspiracies to do these things. So there are no like physical acts of those things. Um, but we are going to talk about that stuff in detail. So feel free to skip my report this week if that's something that you cannot listen to right now. So while his wife and baby slept in the other room, Gilberte Valle participated in chats on Dark Fetish Net and other fetish websites. Um, one of his screen names, I think one of the screen names, so the documentary like shows a screen name that it implies is his, but I'm not 100% sure, uh, but it's Girl Meat Hunter. No, not Girl Meat Hunter. I know. It's just like, aside from being gross, it's also just like bad. Um, And in these chats, he discussed raping, brutalizing, killing, and eating his wife and other women. I'm going to tell you, (laughs) I don't know if I'll leave it in. I was going to say, why not something like Maiden Muncher? And then I was like, I don't. (laughs) No. You didn't have to tell me. It's okay. Oh, God, okay. He said in the documentary that he was sexually repressed due to his upbringing, and through these chat rooms, he found acceptance for his sexual fetishes. He would sometimes access these sites and chat rooms while on duty as a police officer. So he was really into it. Um, So... There's a lot of debate as to whether or not it was all fantasy or he was actually planning to abduct, rape, kill, and eat a woman. And we're going to go into that. Um, in some of the chats, he said things like, no, no matter what I say, this is all fantasy. But in a few others, he said things like, I am 100% for real. Um, so... In chats with a few other 
people, he actually did lay out detailed plans for kidnapping women and cooking them. He said that he planned to build a pulley apparatus in his basement that he would use to suspend women by their feet and torture them by, so gross, I'm sorry guys, by quote unquote slow roasting them. No. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I've actually spared you guys a lot of the details. Uh, It's pretty this the stuff he was saying is pretty horrifying. Wait, disgusting. wait, I want to know. They don't have to know. I want to know. I like. I can't even remember. It shows like pages and pages of his text in the document. Pages. Oh my god. Yeah, they had like hundreds of pages. He w- regularly participated in chats with twenty three different people. Um. So he also discussed a giant oven that he said that he had, which he planned on using to cook women whole. So he uh, did share pictures of real women whom he knew in his real life on these sites and discussed plans to abduct, assault, kill, and eat them. He had what he called a uh, blueprint, which contained a list of what he needed and what he already had in his possession to carry out these plans on these real women. Um, So his wife, gets the spyware report and sees all of this shit. And uh, she also finds an email address that he'd been using to log into these fetish sites that she didn't know about. So she logged into the email because this dumbass used the same password that he'd used for everything else for his- Fool. uh, For this email, yeah. And in that email, she found correspondences and chat logs that discussed her and her friends in detail uh, and also had their pictures and he about his wife in particular he had said um that he wanted to string her up and slit her throat letting her bleed out slowly and make her suffer and that he felt no remorse for it this is his wife and the mother of his baby child now if that's something that I want to hear in my vows. Oh my god, I'm going to be single forever. Um, because of this podcast, I'm so scared. Uh, We're going to go dating again after, like, quarantine or whatever and be like, you know what? Forget it. You're probably going to try to eat me or kill you me. You want to hang me by my feet and watch me bleed out uh, and butcher me, so. They're going to be like, like I'm I- just a little kinky and you're like, no, I know what that means. No. <laughs> I've seen the Cannibal Cop documentary. Thank you very much. He also, Okay, so like in these emails, it stated details like the women's height and weight, um, if they were married, if they had children. It, like I said, it had their pictures. And then it also uh, discussed the amount of quote-unquote meat in various parts of their bodies. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With other people that were like in these cannibal fetish chats. He discussed um, selling a woman who he said he had been stalking and even like haggled over her price with a man who would later be tried as his co-conspirator named Michael Van Hyes. In these discussions, Gill said that he had aspirations of being a professional kidnapper. So Kathleen finds this, reads all of it, is obviously horrified. She immediately leaves Gil and she brings the evidence to the police. 
Which, um, for her, for getting the fuck out of there. Like, he's also a policeman, and that... Luckily, the police did arrest him, investigate him, and ended up arresting him on two charges. That's good. Yeah, um, he was arrested on conspiracy to kidnap and on unauthorized use of a law enforcement database because he was looking up these fucking women in his police database, in the NYPD database, to gain more information about them. Dumb okay. criminal. So, well, not even dumb, but it's just, like, such an outright abuse of power. And it's, like, so creepy that these are the type of people that have access to, like, your intimate details, like, where you live and where you work at any given time. Like, and that's how long ago creepy. was this? This was in, like, the... Um, like mid to like 2010s it's like like early to mid 2010s this um this happened and then the trial stretched out yeah that's not that long ago no it's not at all okay so uh i'm gonna go a little bit into like the the legal side of it because it's actually a really interesting court case so again he was Arrested on conspiracy to kidnap and unauthorized use of a law enforcement database. Okay. So to be convicted of a conspiracy to commit a crime, uh, you have to discuss the crime, make plans to commit it, and engage in one overt act. So it's not enough just like say, like let's say I'm having a fight with my husband and I say, oh my God, I just want to kill him to Charles. And Charles is like, how would you do it? And I'm like, oh, I just, I, I'm, I put arsenic in his food. That's not enough, right? I could just be angry. I could be fantasizing. I could just be a bitch. Um, and it's not illegal to be a bitch, right? Um, but you have to also engage in what is called an overt act. So an overt act, as defined by our best friend Wikipedia, is an act that can clearly be proved by evidence and from which criminal intent can be inferred, as opposed to a mere intention in the mind to commit a crime. Such an act, even if innocent per se, can potentially be used as evidence against someone during a trial to show participation in a crime. For instance, the purchase of a ski mask, which can conceal identity, is generally a legal act, but may be an overt act if it is purchased in the planning of a bank robbery. So, like, if Bailey purchased arsenic, yeah, exactly from a black market, yeah, or I googled like how to make arsenic at home and purchase the ingredients, right? Uh, even though, like, I if I or like antifreeze, it's totally legal to buy antifreeze. But if I talked to Charles about how I was gonna kill my husband with antifreeze, googled how to kill someone with antifreeze, and then went and bought antifreeze, that would be an overt act. Okay, so uh, he was charged along with three alleged co-conspirators, Michael Van Hise, who we discussed before. Um, he was the man that Gil had talked about, like haggled over the price of selling one of these women that he said he was stalking. Um, there was a person in Pakistan with the screen name Ali Khan and an Englishman with the alias Moody Blues. Cool okay. name. Yeah. Not a cool guy. So Valier talked about, in these chats, he talked about incapacitating his victims with chloroform. 
and then he made web searches on how to make chloroform. He talked about stalking his victims, then he used the NYPD database to find the home address of his victims. Um, and also, like, just as a sidebar, a psych expert interviewed in the documentary explained that there is a correlation between people with violent tendencies and careers in law enforcement or other positions of authority, which is not super shocking. Um, it makes sense that people would exploit these positions of power uh, and that people who are interested in hurting people or wanting to know private information about people would seek out jobs that would allow them to do that, right? Uh, so, like, the the whole thing is, like, Googling how to make chloroform is not necessarily a crime in itself, but it could be considered an overact because he specifically discussed chloroforming these women that he said he was planning to kidnap. Um, he also went to Maryland with his wife and child to visit one of his intended victims, who was a friend of his from college in chats with Moody Blues, one of the co-conspirators that he was tried with. Um, he discussed that this trip was for the purpose of finding out more information about her so that he could plan her abduction. Uh, he and Moody Blues discussed how they would eat her um, and cook her. And Gil suggested that they use her head as a centerpiece on the table while they ate. It is like legit nightmare fuel. Right? And, um, oh gosh, I feel, I like legit feel a little sick. Um, it was all, stop. stop it. Uh, it was also proven that Gil drove by her work while he was in Maryland and texted her to confirm that it was her office building that he was driving by. Uh, and when he returned from the trip, he almost immediately logged in to chat with Moody Blues to share the details of the information that he'd found out about the victim. He described the experience of this trip as mouthwatering. Imagine. Imagine being the wife and like finding out this stuff or like just thinking you have like an okay marriage and it turns out like the trip, the day trip that your husband planned is him trying to eat an old college friend. And, like, they went to brunch with her. Like, he and his wife went no. to brunch with her on this trip. <laughs> I'm laughing yeah. because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, because it's literally so fucking horrible. Um, okay. Now, during the trial, despite... And so, like, again... Is it in any way illegal to, like, go visit a friend or to drive by their place of work? No. But in this context, that could be considered an overt act, right? He was actually planning on kidnapping her. He goes, finds out more information with her, meets up with her, reports back to someone who, like, with whom he's discussing the kidnapping to share that information. Then, yes, like, this trip could be considered an overt act, Okay. Now, on the other hand, the defense are going to argue that all of this was pure fantasy. And like, yes, it's kind of gross, but it's not illegal. He wasn't really ever going to kidnap and eat someone. And these are the points that the defense brings up. So though Gil and Michael, now Michael Heise was another one of the um, 
Michael Van Hees was another one of the co-conspirators. The one that I discussed earlier, right? They were haggling over the uh, the the sale of one of the victims. Um, so though they made plans for the abduction and the sale, they never followed through. They would set dates for phone calls to each other, but they never actually made them. On top of that, there was no pulley apparatus for hoisting women up and slow roasting them in Gil's basement. In fact, his basement was a laundry room for the use of the entire apartment building in which he lived. And he had no giant oven. Um, despite his quote unquote blueprints, he never obtained any of the materials that he had listed that he would require to carry out his plans. So that's what the defense is bringing up is like, yes, it's like gross, it's disturbing, but he it's it's all just fantasy, right? So we can't convict someone on a crime based on them talking about sexual fantasies online. So he he was convicted uh, for on both charges and he faced life in prison as a possible sentence because conspiracy to commit kidnapping is um like a it's it's a pretty heavy duty felony. So the defense then motioned for the judge to overturn the conviction based on a lack of evidence, basically stating, you know, the the jury made this decision based on emotion, based on the fact that, like, they don't like this person. They don't like uh, the stuff that he said. They're disgusted by him. But there's not actual evidence to suggest that he was ever going to carry out these things. Um, he spent 21 months in jail while awaiting the judge's decision on uh, the defense's motion. Uh, after those 21 months, the judge granted acquittal on the basis of lack of evidence, uh, which acquittal does not mean innocent, just means not guilty, not enough evidence. Uh, so he was confined to his mother's house on house arrest until sentencing for the uh, charge of misusing the police database because that conviction stood. And for the misdemeanor of misuse of a police database. He ended up being sentenced to time served and was let go from house arrest. Um, so the state then appealed the acquittal on the charge of the conspiracy to commit murder. So the way that this goes is like, you get convicted of a crime. Your defense appeals to the judge and is like, judge, the jury got it wrong. You need to make it right. The judge agrees and is like, yeah, you are not guilty. The jury got it wrong. Well, then the state can appeal and to a higher court, go above the judge's head and say to the appellate court, OK, actually, the jury got it right. The judge got it wrong. So so now the appellate court can decide if the acquittal will stand or if the conviction will stand. So they're That's going to the to the big boss. Crazy. And yeah, and it can go up through appellate courts all the way to the Supreme Court. That's how cases get to the Supreme Court a lot of the time. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. So now it's at the appellate court. And um, the appellate court looks at all of the evidence and they uphold the acquittal. They said the judge got it right. There was not enough evidence to suggest that he was ever going to actually carry out these plans that he had any intention to he's he's free so in the meantime gill uh his attorney separately appeals his conviction on the misdemeanor of misusing the 
computer database. And the appellate court overturns that conviction as well. So not only are they like, yeah, he, the judge was right. He was not guilty. They're like, and you know what? The one that the judge still thought he was guilty on, he's not guilty of that either. Ugh. And the reason why is because of this concept in law called the rule, or not this concept, this like part of the law called the rule of leniency. And basically, in like layman's terms, as I understand it, is the rule of leniency is like when there's in ambiguity in how a law can be interpreted, uh, like a legal gray area, then that law needs to be interpreted in favor of the defendant. So he's scot-free. Yeah, which feels wrong, right? Like it I've, does feel wrong. It makes me feel like he's gonna do something bad. Um, so I'm gonna talk a little bit more about like the impact and the aftermath of this. So obviously, like Kathleen divorced him, maintained custody of their child. Um, like I feel so bad for her because she was dragged into this, and she was a huge part of like the media coverage. Her testimony is really heartbreaking when she just like discusses, like she she says like I was asleep in the other room with our baby while my husband was talking about slitting my throat and watching me bleed and feeling no remorse about it and eating me with these strangers online. Like I can't imagine. I can't imagine that either. Um, and she's not interviewed in the documentary, but her. Um, testimony is like read by an actor uh so uh the documentary does interview gil value's parents and they're fucking kind of weird uh so his well. parents were that <laughs> way well his parents were initially like in denial uh they didn't even believe when like the charges went public, they didn't even believe that he did, that he had these conversations. And then after reading and viewing the chats for themselves, they were still pretty protective of their son, both of them. In the documentary, his mom wavered back and forth between an attitude. Like, it's really weird to watch. Like in the same couple sentences, she like wavers between, he's clearly really sick and he needs help. And then saying, oh, this is just a way that he works out frustration. Like how some people go to the gym and punch a punching bag. Now, look, those are uh, two drastic, like polar opposites of things that are not connected. <laughs> like, Right. No, he I go, I would go smash maybe, I, w I would like maybe to the extreme of like going to the gym to work out aggression would buy really expensive things just to smash them okay that's an extreme to that or end. like the thing is too is like yes some people do use sex as a way to work out frustration yes sure like but i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna go take pictures of real people from my real life share them with strangers on the internet and discuss how we will rape torture eat them like right. and, and like look, like murder them it's have we all fantasized about killing somebody for sure no oh well yeah. Oh. Not sexually. I thought you meant oh, like no. as a sexual affair. No, just like killing somebody. Like that that's normal. Okay. Like when you get really mad at someone and you're like, ugh, like like what if I could just kill them. Yeah. Yeah. But this is it's just and like, hey, you know what? Whatever two consenting adults wanna do, have have at it. 
have a great time. This is different, okay? These women did not consent to their information, to like intimate details of their lives, to their bodies being discussed in this way, to their, their, their photos being shared with these strangers so that they could fantasize about the ways that they would do things like, quote unquote, de-breast them, slit their throats, bond, bind them and kill them. Like, you cannot bring people into scenarios like that. Like, if you have dark fantasies, fine, whatever. Like, but you can't bring real people from your real fucking life into that without their consent. And it just drives me crazy because, like, there are people that have, like, sexual fetishes that are taboo. And I, sometimes, yes, I think our society is too puritanical about sex and, like, too close-minded to sexual exploration. But this is not about sex. No. This is about violence against women and control. It is not about sex. <sighs> Sorry, I went on a, a real rant there. <laughs> like, it's no, so mad. No, I, I agreed. I really, I agree. <laughs> I was watching this documentary and there are lots of people that actually defend this fucker and I got so mad because like you you can't take a very like real narrative with like very valid points about how our society views sex between consenting people and 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 even contextualize like use that as context for the situation because it's something completely fucking different. Anyway, I hate this guy in case you couldn't tell. Shocking, I know. <laughs> We're all very shocked at this news. I um, I always like all the people I talk about on here. Uh, you just roll the like the montage of me being like, so fuck that guy, fuck that guy, fuck that guy. Right, literally. Um. Anyway, okay. His dad, in my opinion, was even grosser than his mom because. He's like, oh, well, you know, like, my son had fantasies. Big deal. So what? He never acted on the fantasies. And he asks, Where, what woman in his trunk? What woman is on the roasting spit? Oh, yeah, they also talked about roasting women on a roasting spit, like a pig at a luau. Um, and what woman in his, is in his oven? Yuck. Yuck. I have no words. No nice words. Um, so his mother was, like, pretty devastated. His parents both stood by him during the trial, but it doesn't seem like the two of them have any relationship at all. They were never interviewed together. They were never, like, I didn't see any, like, pictures of them together at his trial. Um, and then, like, they asked the dad in his interview why they got divorced, and he, like, got weirdly emotional about it, uh, considering they divorced, like, 20 years ago. And was like, I don't want to talk about it. So they've got some shit going on. Which, another point to bring up. I understand not wanting to believe terrible things about your children, right? And that must be really hard to hear. Like, hey, your son talks about all this like nasty stuff. And you'd be like, you know, obviously at first, no way, right? But like... At some point, you gotta know. Like, and I guess they they do eventually agree that it is happening. But like, to excuse it, first of all, it's weird. And like, I just like that's where the line is like drawn for me. Like, I know that it's hard to believe, but that doesn't mean you can just excuse that kind of violent behavior. Yeah, 
And again, this is beyond like BDSM. This is, this is, (laughs) this is, um, it's like, in my opinion, yeah, it's like not even about, it's not about sex anymore. Um, so, and also, okay, so the documentary filmed him at home when he was like, well, at his mother's house, because, um, he was like kicked out of his house, you know, because he's saying that he wanted to slit his wife's throat. Um, so she didn't want him around. Um, but he was under house arrest at his mother's house and the documentary was filming him during this time. And like, they're making jokes about the whole situation. Like he and his mom, uh, like she cooks dinner for him and he's like, oh, I've got a fork. Is everyone comfortable? Everyone in the room okay? Like being cute about the fact that he has these like super graphic fantasies about killing and eating women. What the fuck, dude? You're not even, and like, this was before the appellate court had, um, or this was before the, the judge had made this decision, like, uh, on on the sentencing that he was go- gonna get for his misdemeanor, and this was before the appellate court had made their decision on whether or not his uh, acquittal would be upheld. And he's, like, cracking jokes about eating women with his mom. What the fuck? <laughs> Okay. You want to be disgusted and watch this documentary. <laughs> You'll be grossed out in literally, I think, every way possible. <laughs> um, so they do also, like, interview some, like I said, some psych experts um, who talk about how, like, this level of graphic fantasy is disconcerting and while we can't we can't predict whether or not he will ever go on to hurt someone um people with these fantasies do sometimes act on them and uh people who do fantasize about this stuff psychology experts do not recommend that they engage in in chats and sites like these anyone who is at risk for violence they don't recommend that they like that they uh indulge in those fetishes uh as like a like oh well if i write about it on the internet then that's like a release and i won't go out and do it it doesn't really work that way you just keep adding fuel to the fire and eventually if you keep exposing yourself to these violent fantasies, like there, it is not guaranteed, but it is possible that there will come a point when that's just not enough, and you have to go take it to the next level. So that there is like concern, right? And look, <clears throat> I think it is dangerous, right? When we start policing people based on the things that they think or search or write about, but we. I don't think this was a victimless crime. And like, so maybe there wasn't enough to convict him on conspiracy um, to commit kidnapping. Maybe there wasn't, but I I don't think this guy should just fucking get away with, with, with using real women, with stalking real women, right? Looking at their personal details because he has that access as a police officer. Um, stalking them at their places of work and then sharing intimate details of them in their photos with these people like that just feels like surely he something of that should be illegal (laughs) right especially like the 
the visit to Maryland and then talking about it afterwards. Like, that seems... That's bad. Like, that's... That that would have been enough for an overt act to me. That would have. It was enough for the jury, so... Um, and yeah, I, I am concerned about this guy out there, for sure. And obviously, he's uh, he's considered a disgraced cop. He's completely out of the force. He uh, works for a, a construction company now. But do I think he's the only person in law enforcement with fantasies like these? Or who has no gone? Way. Who has, like, crossed that boundary and used their authority to violate someone? Whether that actually be physically or just violate them by by looking up their their personal details um in ways that like average citizens don't have access to like i'm sure that happens all the time we know that that happens all the time we know that people in positions of authority and and yes specifically police officers have used that position of power to stalk harass and brutalize women so like this is too real for me for this guy just to be fucking walking around (laughs) living his life She's ah! upset. I'm so upset. I'm sorry. I'm gonna take a breath. Okay. Oh, balloon breath. I'm gonna catch my bubble. Okay. Uh so yeah, and the way that he like was make- making jokes, he's like, ah, you gotta joke about it. His mom's like, yeah, you do. And I'm like, okay, like fuck <laughs> Uh okay. And it just made me feel gross, this whole documentary, and everything I've read about him made me feel nasty. Okay, so um, one little tidbit, after his convictions were all overturned, he made a profile on Match.com because, as in the documentary, he said he had a craving for companionship. And, like, dude, maybe don't use the word craving. Yeah, not the craving. Um, And then he listed one of his interests as... Cooking <laughs> on his dating profile. <sighs> so clearly, like, he just doesn't even, like, think. And it's like, it's so. F- okay, so in the documentary, right? In the documentary, ends, I believe, when they're still waiting um, for the appellate court to make their final decision. Um, I'm not 100% certain on that. I was pretty pissed off by the time I reached the end of the documentary because it kind of seemed to take his side so I might not have been paying 100% attention but towards the end of the documentary he's like oh I have no desire to ever like indulge in this fetish again I have no desire to go on a fetish site I don't even want to think about this stuff anymore like it's done that chapter of my life is over well lies 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 on Manelli lies on Manelli lies well so he actually um went on to write a book called Raw Deal, cute, cute pun, Gil, uh, Raw Deal, the untold story of NYPD's cannibal cop, uh, which he said received positive feedback on social media. And after that, guess what? Shockingly, this fucker wrote an extremely graphic fiction book called A Gathering of Evil, which explores his fascination with killing and eating women through the lens of a group of sadists who kidnapped two young New Yorkers. He said in an interview with the New York Daily News that he has a sexual fetish that he didn't choose, but he's quote-unquote fine with it. So You know, this is another time we would put out the BetterHelp ad. (laughs) (laughs) 
And like, again, I want to say that, look, there, okay. We can cut this out if we want to, but there are sexual fetishes that like, may, like maybe have like a cannibalistic bent, right? Okay. Sure. Like, like biting. That's a thing that a lot of people like. Okay. Uh, bondage. That's a thing that a lot of people like, right? You can have weird, dark, niche sexual interest, interests. That's fine, okay? And you're allowed to explore those parts of yourself. And in fact, I think like it is important that you explore whatever things that are taboo that interest you, as long as you do it in a healthy, safe, and consensual way. Yes. The way that this dude is doing it is not consensual. And also, like, he's bringing it into real life. Like, it's not fantasy at all. And I, yeah, I do think that, that it is, like, too fucking weird when we're talking about real women, real people from our real lives that have no idea. And he talks about, like, the satisfaction that he would get from, like, following, like, in his fantasy he says that he would get like satisfaction from following a woman and she doesn't know that like her days are numbered. And then he goes out and actually follows women. <laughs> um, uh, like, look, if he were to just fantasize about some random woman, like that, not a real one, and just like, like eating them or whatever, okay. But like, he's actually like, planning it with real people and real actual visit events and also i do think look is it okay to have taboo or niche sexual interests yeah but you should examine why you are turned on by someone else's like unconsensual torture and death right you you need to examine why you find that sexy because there might be something fucking wrong with you, okay? And, like, I don't want to kink shame, but, like... But that is her kink. <laughs> the kink shaming is my kink. No, but, like, you, I, we need to look at... We need to be um, open-minded when it comes to sex, obviously, right? And our society is, like, kind of puritanical in a lot of ways that aren't healthy and aren't good and don't lead to happy, consensual, productive, sexual lives, right? But it's also important to examine sexual fetishes with a critical lens. So if you find yourself constantly fantasizing about brutalizing, um, raping, torturing, and eating people, you probably do need to look at that critically and ask yourself, why is that making me horny? And I think that's fair. And if you're Gil Valle, you need to go fuck yourself, dude. Because I, like, I, I, ha- I, I am kink shaming you. But yeah, uh, like, there is a line. There is a line between like weird sex and just wanting t- to hurt women and getting yeah. off on someone's real, non-consensual suffering. And to us, it is a thick line that is. Very discernible. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, dude, I might hate this guy the most. (laughs) Really? I'm shocked and surprised. Out of the people that that I've talked about on this podcast, I think it's because 
he's like he's making a joke of it like it's all like a big fucking joke to him and like can you imagine if you were one of these women like we know who these women are i didn't say aside from his wife i didn't say the names of these women the documentary names them articles name them like they are very much like publicly people know that their images were online and that people were fantasizing about just like like murdering them in really awful ways and eating them and like that's so violating that's scary it's terrifying and and this fucking guy just thinks it's like hilarious bad bad egg <laughs> member <laughs> certified uh, yeah well is that all that the became of him he's just out there working in construction now out there working in construction, the this book was published in like the late like twenty teens, so fairly recently. I think like it was maybe like four or five years ago. This fucking a gathering of evil book, um, which is just I, I'm assuming like a hundred to two hundred pages of him indulging in these fantasies, so, quote unquote fantasies. But yeah, he's just out there, out there dating, out there writing books, out there making jokes about it. Living his cool. disgusting, well, pathetic little life. If you meet anybody named, whatever his name was, Gilberto. Gilberto, Gilberto Valle. <laughs> Why can't I? I can't even say his name. <laughs> My brain has a mental block against saying this I would say turn and run. Don't even say goodbye. Yeah, so that's that's that. Ooh, I go to the doctor. My blood pressure is too high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the kind of blood that I'd be drinking. Uh, yeah, you would just absorb sheer rage if you oh were to God, drink my blood. I know. <laughs> I would, and I would. I'd become evil. You think I'm evil? No, I just think you have a lot of rage for such a tiny person. And, <laughs> and in a normal sized person, that would be like just like a, a like shot of concentrated evil. <laughs> yes, and that's not something that I'm looking forward to consuming. Okay, would well, you? I was going to give you my blood anyway. So. <laughs> would you drink my blood? If you, if you like, really wanted me to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like, I drink your blood. <laughs> No, but I wouldn't. But, like, we really wouldn't. I think. <laughs> I, like, I'm saying, like... I'm just saying the only thing that's stopping me is fear of disease. What do you think I have? No, we just... We already know from your facts and figures. That- if you eat my brain. But if you drink my blood, I think... I think it just... If, like, it was just a little bit... You would probably be fine. Why am I trying to convince you of this? I'm not going to give you. I don't know. (laughs) Are you trying to get me to drink your blood? Um, look, maybe part of it is look. Am I sexually attracted to vampires? Yeah. How brave of you. Would I let one drink my blood? Yes, I know this is very new. No one has ever (laughs) said this before. There hasn't been a whole entire movie franchise multiple off of falling in love with a vampire god i can't wait to do a vampire episode once i keep asking you to do it no you haven't <laughs> you have yes i'm gonna pull up oh, the did text i say I, didn't i say i wanted to save it for october yes 
Yeah, I still hold true to that. Guys, come October, this podcast, we'll be I think, will be popping. Power. I think so. I'm trying to think of, like, a lighthearted way to end this after Oh, I, uh... well, I mean, this is a lighthearted way to end this because, look, um, we didn't put out an episode last week. Sorry. Not sorry. We need a break sometimes. Um, definitely not for the truth. Life was, anyway. like, not uh, on our side yeah. last week. Um, <laughs> really rough times going on. But happy Pride Month to all our LGBTQ plus listeners. We are also... Um, she is the B in the LGBT. I am the G. And B we... stands for bitch. <laughs> B stands for bitch. Bisexual <laughs> bitch. That's her right there. Um, yes, we are so happy to wish you a happy Pride Month. We hope you have a good one. And yeah, listen. Also, coming out, you don't have to. If it's not safe, don't do it. We're just... Just no. don't. Whether you're... In the closet, out of the closet, half in, half out. Shake it all about. Do the hokey pokey. (laughs) If you are queer, you are welcome here. I hated that. (laughs) If you're (laughs) queer, we're glad you're here. But if you're queer, seriously, happy Pride Month. Um, I think we all could use some fucking joy after the last year. So in whatever way you can, whether it be like out loud and proud or just privately to yourself, I hope you find some time to really celebrate the beauty and being who you are, authentically you. And I hope you know that it's that it's good enough. And we're glad that you're here. Yes, we are. And we love you so, so freaking much i hope you know that <laughs> yes we do and if you feel like we don't know you you know what you can send an email to hmis pod sorry let me say that more clearly you can send an email to hmis pod at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you and listen people do we even have any emails in that thing from anyone bailey not yet so we would love, love, love to hear from you. We'll be anxiously awaiting. Feel free to send us anything, um, any feedback. You're welcome to post a review on i on um, Apple Podcasts. Forget it's not iTunes anymore. I'm old. Um, or you can send it our way in our inbox at hmispod at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your spooky stories. We'd love to one day be able to do a listener episode and and share whatever crazy stuff you've got to give us. Oh my so gosh, I would love that. <laughs> yes, it w- it's like a dream of ours. So um, we'll be anxiously waiting for you to make our dreams come true. And in the meantime, it's a scary world out there. So hold on to the people you love. Bye. Bye. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. We love you. <laughs>